throw what you like at Max Verstappen. Rain, red flags, a charging Fernando Alonso. He's got it all covered. Here is the home hero. You can hear the crowd cheering him home. And this is a moment of Formula One magic for Max Verstappen, who is going to claim another home victory, a third in a row. Verstappen is the history maker in Holland. Verstappen crosses the line to win nine Grand Prix in a row and tie the all-time record. Yes. <laughs> Didn't make it easy for us today in the weather, but uh, again, unbelievable, guys. Welcome to F1 Nation from a wet and stodgy Zandvoort. What is it with this European summer? But it's been a truly memorable weekend here with a tremendous atmosphere and a thrilling race. And to break it all down with me, Tom Clarkson, our Brazilian journalist, Julian Serasoli, and Christian Maynat from Motorsport Magazine in Germany. There's plenty to discuss after a race like that. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, I cannot remember a more bonkers race than the 2023 Dutch Grand Prix. It's hard to remember everything that happened except that one man came through to dominate once again. And I'm going to put it to you guys that that was his most impressive victory of 2023. Well, it's a good call. I'm struggling now to remember all the races because so much happened this Sunday that he struggled to remember all the, the rest of the season. But for a second, a split second, I thought maybe Max is not going to win this when he didn't stop when the rain came and they decided not to stop. Of course, if you were there up in front, it was very hard to make that call because it wasn't clear for how long the rain was going to be on. So that's why Perez was the first one to stop and triggered everybody else behind him. But for a split second, I thought it may be hard for him, but how many laps was it back in the lead? It was less than 20. Yeah, incredible. And you have to know that he has so much to lose. He's the only driver on the grid who has something to lose here. And to be that impressive, zero mistakes in this unbelievable difficult conditions. It started from qualifying onwards, I would say. Then the whole atmosphere around him, all the pressure he had with this atmosphere around. It's absolutely incredible. And then this incredible difficult circumstances in the race. It's, his risk management is, is unbelievable. How prepared are the teams for scenarios like this, you know, chaotic races? How much do they plan in their strategies for anything happening? You, you cannot plan really. What they have is the information from the Raiders that they had. Every, everyone has the same information is what you do with that information. So what we had in this race, for example, was the, the Mercedes drivers getting the information from the team that the rain was going to stop in two minutes. So that's what you get from the pit wall. The pit wall is telling you, okay, two minutes, this strong, are you going to hold on? And they're like, okay, I can see the sky is clear here, here and there. I can see it's really bad in two corners. I'm gonna believe you and I'm gonna stay at the track. Uh, the team saw the same information, the same radar, because F1 supplies that for everyone, and had a, a different interpretation of what they were seeing. And that's how we see these different decisions. But then you also have the driver taking some decisions. We've seen it from, from some drivers today. I think they just went into the pits. They were there, waited for tires, like um, Charles Leclerc, for example. That's why the Ferrari pit stop once again looked a bit um, messy, yeah? let's put it that way. But actually it was because he decided himself just to pit. And even if it took him like, I don't know, six, seven seconds longer, it was still the right decision. So he was still in a better position after the long stop than he would have been if he would have stayed out. So it's, yeah, quite a lot of information coming from the team, but then it's also the driver to judge. I still think in a way it was the right result. I think Max has been so perfect this year and he was perfect again today. And when you look at that crowd, of more than 100,000 people. The atmosphere was electric. I mean, just everything about this Grand Prix is unique, whether it's the, the music that's being played pretty much all day, eight till eight, and they're all dressed in orange. And I love the fact that this is 
one of the most sustainable Grand Prix of the season with what is it 95% of the crowd coming to the race on sustainable transport all you see is bike parks everywhere there's no car parks uh, the train from Amsterdam to Zandvoort has been renamed for this weekend the Max Express it is just a shrine to Max Verstappen so had he not won this race particularly those last six laps you know having driven so perfectly before then I felt maybe there would have been an injustice but before we go any further let's hear from the man himself Max Verstappen the race itself very hectic of course I mean lining up and seeing the rain coming down um, yeah it was uh, tough to make the right calls I mean I thought together with the team you know they told me there was like the rain is coming but maybe not enough to to switch to an inter or maybe survive for a few laps so we decided, you know, together to stay out for one more lap, but that at the end of the day was then the wrong, wrong call, but it made the race definitely more fun because um, from there onwards I had to pass a few cars, I had to close the gap up front, but then you think you're going to have, a, let's say, an easy ride home, and then they tell me uh, 10, 15 laps before the end there's some rain coming again. And this time it was not just some rain, it was quite a lot. <laughs> so we pit for, for inters, and within a lap, it almost becomes undrivable on an inter and we opted to go to an extreme but uh, the problem we have at the moment is that the intermediate is um, basically too good compared to the the extreme so even when there's a downpour like that you still actually want to be on an inter because it's faster um, but at one point there were so many rivers on the track it just becomes incredibly dangerous um, so at the time I was a bit of well not upset but like disappointed with the red flag but I guess in hindsight with so many people on intermediates uh, it was probably the, the the right thing to do and you've equaled Sebastian Vettel's record of 9 in a row and the team's unbeaten run this season continues can we get your thoughts on that yeah i mean it was probably one of the more difficult races to uh, to win again but yeah, nine in a row is something I never even you know, thought about. So very, very happy with that. But I think I'm in general, of course, very happy to win here in front of my, my home crowd. Now that is his ninth win in a row, his 11th of the season so far. I felt that took more out of him than most of the others. He seemed pretty drained at the end, I felt. I think the whole weekend, as Christian was mentioning, uh, mentioning earlier, the whole weekend was very tricky with the weather, Qualifying yesterday took a lot from him. He just, he's making it look really easy, but of course it isn't easy for him. And especially this weekend with all the pressure from the, the crowd. What seems to have happened with Max is that he's, he found something with that car during the race in Baku. And he never missed that. He never looked back. There's, there's something that clicked there. And now I just wonder how far can he go? If we remember the guy who had, still has this record, well, at least until Monza, when Sebastian Vettel won for nine times, he just stopped winning because the season was over, pretty much. Because also, he found something with the cars and with the tires. They changed the tires in that season in 2013. But something clicked, and we are seeing the same thing. Something clicked with that car and Max Verstappen. Yeah, it's, as I said earlier, it's... Um it's not only that he's the fastest driver and probably what is the fastest car, it's also that he's doing zero mistakes with such an amount of pressure on his shoulders. It was not only here, even if you look back in Spa, for example, when there was rain coming during the race, the moment he had in Rouge, you could say it's luck, but eventually it's not luck when it happens so many times in a row. Christian, I'm going to stop you there. Have a listen to this from Fernando Alonso in the press conference. Days like today, I felt that I was at my best and I'm giving 100% that what I felt and my abilities on a racing car. But maybe in Spa, I was not at that level or in Austria or something else. So you always feel that there is room to improve and you are not 100% happy with yourself as, as I am today. And I think Max is achieving that 100% more often than, than us at the moment, than any other driver, so that's why he's dominating. Final one for me, Fernando. Just give us your thoughts going into that mini sprint at the end. Were you thinking about winning or were you thinking of just defending second? I was thinking about trying, so I was not uh, conservative, let's say. I, I, was, I, I thought about what to do a lot in the red flag period, so... I thought what were the possibilities. Obviously, the move uh, into 10-3 was 
was something that it was in my head. Also in 2010, I discussed it with the team as well. That was my feeling that I wanted to try today. But obviously, I don't want to compromise any big points for the team because second was, was very important as well. But they were happy with me to try. I think they, they have the trust on me as well, on, on whatever I decide. So yeah, at the restart, I try in 1014, uh, launching the, the lap, um, trying to be flat in the banking with the cold tires, which is a little bit uh, risky, and try to be <laughs> side by side at least into 10-1, but I, I was not that close. So after that, I tried some different lines inside, outside, the opposite of Max for the first lap in case one of the lines was very grippy or much grippier than, than his. And yeah, it was close, uh, but not enough. I love that Alonso says that about Max. He's so confident in his own ability that he's able to compliment Max in such a complete way and say, yeah, he is getting 100% out of the car and himself more often than the rest of us. And I think that says everything about the season so far. I think he has done that himself, Fernando, so he can recognize that. What was funny about this race is that Fernando was going for the win after that restart. He told the teams, I'm going for it. And they were like, oh, no, 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 don't risk our podium. He said, no, I will. I'm going to try to go alongside him. And maybe because he's fighting for the champion. He's not really fighting for the champion. He's championship, is he? But because he's there in front of maybe he won't be as aggressive, but he never managed to be side by side with him. And he just felt, I don't think Max would have given me any space, especially in front of his home crowd. Now, how frustrated will Christian Horner be that he didn't have both drivers on the podium today? You know, we saw, we saw quite a few errors from Checo Perez, let's face it, crashing in, uh, coming into the pit lane. He's, he was, he'd been off prior to the red flag. It was a frustrating one for Checo, let's put it that way frustrating one he still finished in p4 and very very difficult conditions as well so um, I think Christian Horner can live with it they won the race they are leading both championships comfortably so I think in the end if you look back in the season it doesn't matter that much I think the only thing that matters is that he has to answer some questions again is Sergio still the right guy next to Max and we just heard Fernando what he was saying about Max and if a multiple world champion is saying that he cannot do what Max is doing all the time, delivering 100% every single race weekend. If a multiple world champion is saying this, I think that says it all. But what did you make then of Toto Wolff's comments after qualifying when he expressed, I think it was, well, let's call it surprise at the gap between Max and Checo over one lap. 1.3 seconds around what is one of the shortest laps of the season. Yeah, but don't forget that we had such difficult circumstances in qualifying as well so the gap was exaggerated once again between both of them I think if you put them in the car doing one lap same conditions without too much pressure on Jekyll's shoulder because that seems to be a problem this year for him just his raw pace is not like 1.3 seconds off max it's quite far off max but with Jekyll you've got a, a race winner next to max so you know what he's capable of doing and then still see this then you know that it's just Max being so much better than anyone else at the moment. Do you think Checo will be disappointed with his performance this weekend? You know, he was hoping to come back from the summer break, having spent two and a half weeks with his family in Mexico. I think he was hoping to come back and reclaim some of that early season form. I think he got a bit more realistic the last uh, nine races, but still, as a racing driver, I think you're always disappointed if you're not beating your teammate. He actually said that he's getting better and better with the race pace. We probably we weren't able to actually see that, but he said he, he was happier with his race pace. And regarding whatever be, everything that's being said about him in the last few weeks, I think everybody's trying to have a dig at Paris at the moment because he is the only weak link at Rebel. So when they're trying to speak about Rebel and trying to maybe create some drama with Rebel, um, speaking about the rivals, they try to use Sergio to do that. We've seen that with Toto, we've seen that with Zach Brown as well. I think the field is a lot closer than it looks like if you look at the championship standings and if, if you look to, to, the, to the winning strike Max has. So the gap is like, I don't know, three, four tenths of a second. That, that's, that's not a different league. 
It's just that he's performing every single time, that the team is not doing any mistakes. Don't forget the team as well. Christian Horner mentioned it after the race that they did eight pit stops today. I think apart from one, which was when, when Checo turned up there, they were all perfect. So it's a perfect execution from the team as well. In this field, you see it from, from P2 to P16. Small errors can bring you from P2 to P16 or wherever. Of course, they have a little bit more margin than from P2 to P10 or whatever. But still, the margins are not, are not huge. And it helps them that there's not a clear second. So it keeps changing. So you've got teams that are better in certain circuits and teams are better than others. And I think that helps uh, Red Bull or Max's dominance. All right. Well, final thoughts from Red Bull, because we're recording this late on Sunday night, because, of course, with all the stoppages in the Grand Prix, everyone's cleared off. <laughs> But we did manage we did manage to grab Max's manager, Raymond Vermeulen, who had this to say. If you go back to qualifying yesterday, it was uh, a lap was spot on on the moment when it uh, when it's important, and even today the team did a fantastic job. Max was sharp uh, every second of the race, and he did a fantastic job. You know, with a hundred thousand people expecting the thing what he's doing, so it's not a given that uh, this is the outcome. Uh, especially with changing conditions, uh, a lot can happen. Safety car crashes. I don't have to explain everything, but I think to, to be P1 here is a, is a mega, mega achievement. When you've got 105,000 people, and let's face it, all of them are here to see him, do you think he feels the pressure here more than elsewhere? Yeah, I think, of course, you know, Max is a cool guy and, and, and he is... Uh, in, his, in the car is his second home, so uh, then he feels very comfortable. But on the end, you know, it's, it's still a lot of people who are expecting a lot. And, uh, of course, uh, we are looking to nine wins and the team is uh, looking to it. So there is pressure in every and each corner. So, of course, he feels it, and, but he, he's very, very strong mentally. So he can cope with that. Uh, I've never seen such a strong young guy as, as Max. He had his ninth win. It wasn't an easy one, this one, because he had to do some overtaking. He had to do some work <laughs> this time. Yeah. Do you project something? How far can he get? Is this something? Uh, I think the mind? sky is the limit, but I think we have an amazing package with the team. I think the, 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 the team built a, a very competitive car. Uh, we go to Monza. That should be good for us as well. So I think, yeah, we can we can still have some uh, good wins this year. But on, on the other hand, you know, uh, everything can happen for next year and the years beyond. So we should enjoy this moment in in his career and uh, we take uh, every minute of it. What did you personally do this weekend to keep all the things off? Uh, we had a very uh, sharp planned uh, schedule with Max. We came on Max came on the Thursday morning. Basically, we did. The, the shoots with, with Heineken, with player 0.0, the interviews. We tried to do everything on the Thursday. So after five, six, seven o'clock uh, on the Thursday, he's done with uh, PR and marketing things. And for us, we keep him complete free and only focusing on, on uh, the performance uh, with the engineers and uh, to prepare for the race and qualify and practice. Is it a little fight between you because you want him to do some marketing no, stuff? No, 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 absolutely. No, no, I think that we are one of the the strongest one to uh, to protect uh, from overloading Max with PR and marketing things. Um, we have seen other drivers doing a lot in the home Kong Prix, so you have to be very careful. Uh, even the, 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 the people expect a lot from him, but uh, you have to be very clean and say, let's focus on the racing and stay the, stay clean with, with, uh, with activations and do that the week before or the week after, but not on the race weekend. Raymond, it's been a phenomenal weekend. It's been a phenomenal year, yeah. damn it. Yeah, yeah, we we're not complaining. It is, it is, it is a fantastic year, of course, and we are uh, on the top of the game at the moment. So we uh, we should enjoy it as well. Enjoy it. Thank yeah. you very much. Alonso is second for his return to the podium. His first since Canada. I take this one, but we will win one race soon. We are getting closer. Well done, guys. Let's talk about. Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin now. I think there's going to be relief there that the team, it brought some upgrades here. Fernando talked about trust, having trust in the car. I think they're back. Yeah, he said something interesting after the race. He said, I feel more connected with the car. Therefore, I feel more alive. So Fernando needs to feel that confidence from the car. And he said he came, especially from the back, 
uh, of the car, so the, the back is working better. The floor seems to have worked, and that was a happy Fernando today. Yeah, for me, Aston Martin is pretty interesting because um, they were talking about a wrong development direction they took before the summer break. Um, but Tom Keller this weekend said, no, it's not so much about the wrong direction, it's just general development and now they've made a step. So that's a bit strange for me to hear. But um, on the other side, Fernando, he was, he was fantastic. Not only during the race, but also after the race with everything he explained to us, the conversation he had with the team during the red flag period and if he should go for it or not. And then he went flat out through turn 14 when it was wet and um, you could see it. Max had a fantastic restart there. I think he gained a bit compared to Fernando, but then through turn 14, Fernando came close and then also how he described his first lap when he overtook two cars in, I think, turn four. He said um, he saw it during a free practice session when uh, on his outlap he left some cars outside on the, on, the, on the racing line and then he felt that there is more grip than he expected on the inside and that he remembered for the whole weekend and now he tried it in, in rainy conditions and he's just fantastic, not inside the car, but also, also outside with all his stories. Amazing. And I don't know about you guys, but watching the mini sprint at the end, okay, we had six laps. I was sort of thinking, oh my goodness, let's not have Melbourne all over again. Uh, I think having the rolling start probably helped. But I think of all the people that Max didn't want in his mirrors at that restart. I think Fernando Alonso is top of the list because he's so impetuous, he's so unpredictable, and he's so fast. And clearly, we'd seen all weekend just what he could do in that Aston. And I was thinking he was going to push him hard. He was going to push him hard, but actually Max had him covered. But still, Fernando Alonso, I feel, is back. That car is back. And I could see Aston Martin regaining second position in the Constructors' Championship quite soon if they continue this development run. It's Pierre Gasly who takes the chequered flag and Gasly gets his first podium since 2021. Let's go! Let's go! Amazing, man. Amazing. What a race! What a race! I feel we have to give Alpine a proper shout on this pod. They're a team that A, got the strategy right. Uh, Gasly, he did all the damage starting 12th and made the jump up the order by pitting very early on in the Grand Prix for those intermediate tyres. More impressive was the way that he was able to stay there in the dry conditions. I thought the performance of that car today was sensational and what a lift for that team given everything they went through just prior to the summer break. And to be completely honest, I didn't see that coming. After qualifying, I didn't see it coming. And as you say, okay, he was there after a pretty chaotic starting phase, but then the track drying, I didn't see him um, staying there, but his pace was really, really good. Um, I don't know if the team has an explanation for it. I am surprised to be honest, and I have no explanation. Well, let's hear Pierre's explanation now. This is what he said after the race. All the conditions were pretty much thrown at us from the start. Uh, we ended up on slicks in the dry and damp conditions, then fitting the inters on the wet, but then on the drying track. So it was all about like adapting yourself to the conditions and, and really playing with the limits. But uh, no, after the summer break, I was really excited to get back in the car. And today was probably the most fun I've had all season. Uh, very exciting to be fighting for these positions. And uh, yeah, there were important calls to make, um, but the whole team executed a very strong race. And I'm pleased, I'm pleased because uh, we haven't been very fortunate in the start of the year kind of involved in some, yeah, in unfortunate uh, situations on, on many occasions, which cost us some points and kind of build some frustration, but you got to keep your head down and always trying, always trying, trying to improve what you can on yourself. And uh, and today it paid off. So, yeah, big congrats to the, to the guys. And uh, it's a great way to restart the second part of the year. And how much confidence does this result give you going into Monza next weekend? I think... It does give some confidence. I think it's definitely coming more together with the team. You know, it's uh, obviously this sort of adaptation part um, since the start of the year, trying to learn from each other. And um, yeah, last weekend in Spa, we had a, a good top three finishing in the sprint, intermediate condition, like in, in, in the wet. Um, again, today we managed to make the best out of these conditions. The, there is a clear trend that the, the car seems to work a bit better in the wet. Now we've got to improve and, and keep working because we still 
kind of slightly further back in the drive, but there were definitely some good signs of pace today and, and we need to, to build from there. So after Spa, after the sprint in Spa, I think Alpine knew they were good with the intermediates in this kind of condition. So Pierre knew, okay, I have a chance here as soon as he put the, the inters. But then when he dried out, he was like, okay, now I'm going to lose all these positions. And the pace was good, as you said. And they know, they still don't know where it came from. So Pierre was still very surprised after the race of that pace with the dry track. It's the contrasting fortunes of the drivers at Alpine I find so interesting. You know, wind the clock back to Monaco, where, of course, Esteban Ocon was getting all the plaudits for his third place there. It was a missed opportunity, and Pierre was very frustrated at that race afterwards, I seem to remember. Here, Gasly gets on the podium, and Ocon is the frustrated one after the race. Some of that frustration, I think, might be born out of the fact that their relationship is a little bit spiky. But I also think Ocon was seen having quite a strong conversation with his race engineer in that red flag period. What do we think of Ocon's weekend here at Zandvoort? Yeah, he was never as strong as Gasly. And what was happening in that discussion was the wet tyre, the full wet tyre, that he didn't understand why he was put on the, the full wet. And he seems a little bit frustrated. And I think, as you mentioned, because their relationship is not 100%, one, one does well, the other one gets super frustrated. It's more than normal. But it swings. So the team doesn't seem to be able to do nice weekend for both of them. And then we see this kind of frustrating conversations. The thing that surprised me about that full wet that they put on Ocon's car is that he had two brand new sets of intermediates left. So I thought that would be the obvious thing to do because so often now we see a red flag before it becomes full wet conditions. But anyway, there we go. At least they got one car on the podium. And after everything that went on in the lead up to the Belgian Grand Prix a month ago, this has got to be a huge boost for the team. And uh, the car is clearly fundamentally a very good car and it's just a development race now for them to see what they can do over the remainder of the season so let's go down the top 10 of course Perez gets a five second penalty uh, for speeding in the pit lane bit bizarre not quite sure how he managed to do that but he finishes fourth then comes the first Ferrari let's grab a quick word with Carlos Sainz Carlos that was one hell of an eventful Grand Prix. How do you sum it up from your point of view? Yeah, I think from the driver's perspective, one of the toughest races that you can have no, in all sorts of conditions and very tough mentally. Also, even above that, you put the struggles that we had with car balance and predictability this weekend. For me, definitely was a, a very tough race. Why was it so tough for Ferrari? That's the thing is that we don't only have one problem. We have multiple balances in a corner no, and it makes us very difficult to to drive and to predict the car, but overall I think we managed to extract everything out of what there was here this weekend and we, we, we finished in P5 fighting cars that were a lot quicker than us. But everybody in the end was talking about your straight line speed, maybe a good thing for Monza? Uh, the, well, we were on a good straight line speed because we couldn't run our high downforce wings. In Monza everyone will be in the same downforce and uh, we will, I think, have the same top speed as everyone, but our performance should be better. Carlos, P5 here, just how do you prepare for Monza as a Ferrari driver? Well, just uh, a couple of days off now to reset and arrive there to the maximum energy possible because obviously we're going to dedicate a lot of our time to the Tifosi and the fans and you need to be in good spirits and full charge of batteries. Hopefully this uh, top five gives me a good motivation and good feeling for next week. Well done. Thank you. Good luck. Yeah, I think um, Carlos did a pretty decent race today. But the Ferrari just looks like they are nowhere and it seems like they don't understand why they are nowhere and Fred Vasseur said after the race the potential was better than the result but to be honest I disagree with that. For me it didn't look like the Ferrari was much better than P5. Well and, and, and both drivers have been struggling with inconsistencies all weekend. And they wanted to work on this inconsistencies since, I don't know, race two, race three, probably since the Bahrain test. And then they told us with the upgrades, yeah, the window is a bit bigger and it's more predictable, better to drive. They said, we're not targeting the ultimate downforce, but just drivability. But look at what happened to Leclerc and Leclerc is, is not an idiot. So 
I think this car is really, really tricky to drive and um, they are somehow lost. Well, let's hear now from Charles Leclerc. Charles, I hate bumping into you after races like that. How are you feeling now? It's been a couple hours. Uh, well, still not feeling great, to be honest. Uh, obviously, uh, after every difficult race, you, know, you go home and uh, you are disappointed. But I'm sure tomorrow I will wake up with a smile on my face because it's Monza week and it will be special. But uh, yeah. Uh, it's been a very difficult weekend overall, um, one of the most difficult uh, weekend of my career in terms of, of balance of a car and drivability, so we'll look into it to try and understand exactly what um, what happened in order to, uh, to improve from there. We've done some steps forward in the last few races, which was good to see, and we finished the first season on a high, but unfortunately to restart the second part of the season like this is, um, is difficult. Were you surprised? by all the problems you had with the car this weekend. Did it catch you out? Well, I mean, honestly, we, we problems, in a way, we didn't have many. We, it's just uh, the balance of the car that was very, very tricky in some of the corners. But uh, in a way, trying to find a positive in such a difficult weekend, we've had a very good example of on, on three corners, especially this weekend, where we've been struggling massively with the car, which I hope we can understand um, and I'm sure we'll understand uh, things after this weekend because it was really, um, really big. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll understand a few things. And you still have some updates coming for the, the coming races, not for next weekend, but for other races. Is it to focus in these kind of areas that you're still lacking? Um, yeah, uh, of course. I mean, uh, drivability has been a problem since the beginning of the year. We've done some steps forward. I could definitely feel it, but uh, obviously after a race like this, there's still a, a lot of work to do. Come on, Monza next weekend. Good luck. Charles, thanks for your time. Thank you. All right, see ya. Bye-bye. I really like Charles, and I hate it when he's having a season like this because I rate him incredibly highly. You know, think back to that pole position lap in Baku earlier in the year. I really believe he has some sort of mystical speed over one lap and when he hasn't got the machinery underneath him to show it I just get frustrated for him because I really see him as good as the very best drivers in Formula One and he just feels very downbeat at the moment. Downbeat but he was smiling when we grabbed him after, after the race I don't know how I think he it was a smile. smile. I think it was a wry smile Jew. I mean what else can he do if he doesn't smile he's gonna cry right? Yeah, he seems to be really hard on himself, but when the team doesn't give him the car, he seems to forgive the team much more quicker than he forgives himself. That's something I noticed with, with Charles. Charles was having serious trouble with that car, especially in a few corners. He said uh, a few times that he would enter the corner without knowing where the car would point to, and that is very tricky for a driver, especially a driver who he tends to leave the car a bit unstable. That's Charles' car. He, he does that with the car. And if the car does that with him back, that's very tricky for him to drive. But let's not forget he had some damage on his floor and that's why he, he had a terrible race. I think there was also quite a lot of bad luck because he had a damaged uh, front wing and the end plate came off and damaging the floor. So that's quite a lot of bad luck as well. But I still don't see the potential that Fred was there. Uh, season this car. Well, and Enrico Cardile, we spoke to in the press conference earlier this weekend, and he said that they've known since the test what the issues are with this car. They've known exactly how to correct it. Crystal clear. He did use the words crystal exactly. clear. It's taken them quite a long time to correct it, but now everything in the wind tunnel back in Maranello is focused on 2024. So I think it's going to be a very long nine races coming up starting with the Italian Grand Prix next weekend you know both Carlos and Charles referred to the magic of Monza and how they're going to try and give the fans something but I find it hard to see them really being anything more than fourth fifth fastest car can you? I think Monza will be a lot better for them because uh, it's low down for us again like it was Spa so um, they were much more competitive than they were here but I don't see them making any big jumps this season. They are sitting in the same boat as um, Mercedes for me. You mentioned Enrico Cardile and he said, yeah, for 2024, the car will be quite different. And I think the problem they had was that they accepted too late that they were on the wrong concept like Mercedes did. And all the other teams, they copied what Red Bull did 
a lot earlier, okay, except from Haas, but Haas is a bit closer to Ferrari probably. So, And now all the other teams, they have the side impact structures, the crest structures, they are in the right position. Mercedes doesn't have it on the right position. Ferrari doesn't have it on the right position. And I think that's a huge problem for their aerodynamic development program. I think they will change this for next year and they have to wait for it next year. Also probably the rear suspension, front suspension, they are completely different from Red Bull to Ferrari and to Mercedes. They have to work around these problems during this season, but I'm not sure if it's worth working around these problems if they just throw everything to next year's car. Yeah, they said that they have some upgrades already done, so that's why they can focus on 2024 back in the factory, but still bring some stuff. Continuing improving this window of, of this car, but as Christian said, they were improving and then they were on the back foot here. Probably what happened with them is that they started so well last season, so that maybe made it trickier for them to see what was wrong with the, the whole project. And with the regulations changing very little between 2023 and 2024, you wonder, they're so far behind the others in terms of the development of this spec of car, whereas everyone else is just going to evolve you know next year's red bull is going to be an evolution of this one how big a jump can ferrari make between 23 and 24 i think we've seen the jump that aston martin did i think everybody will be looking at aston martin they'll be looking at mclaren and they'll be thinking oh if they did we can do the same i think this resi resistance to change change direction completely is something that mercedes lived and mercedes is still going through that so Anything could happen, a big leap or something like what Mercedes is still going through. I think this can be the beauty of these regulations, that they are all so close. And if you then make a little bit bigger step, then you can be quite there. Okay, so for Charles Leclerc in particular, who's starting to talk about a new contract with the team, you think he can have confidence that Ferrari can get back to the front next year? It's not up for discussion for him at the moment, so um, he doesn't need the confidence uh, because he cannot change it for next year. But then for 2025, it's a different story. But I think they've got to be there or thereabouts in 24 to be there in 25. Yeah, exactly. And um, if I were Charles Leclerc, I just would wait a little bit for um, and see how it's going at the beginning, the early stages of 2024, and see if Ferrari made the step, if any other team has made a step because, I mean, what McLaren did, I didn't expect it, to be honest. I think not many people in the paddock expected what McLaren did, and also Aston Martin, as uh, Julie mentioned earlier. Um, I think none of us had, had expected Aston Martin to do such a step over the winter. And then you see 2024, if anyone's done a bigger step than you expected, perhaps you see other interesting places to what? go to. Right, perhaps go Ferrari's on interesting. Let's talk about Leclerc's future. If it's not with Ferrari, if he says, OK, I've had enough, where is there an opening? Yeah, at the moment, I don't see it. And that's why I would wait a little bit. OK, I had an interview with uh, Helmut Marko uh, during the summer break and asked him about a, a super team, if they need another superstar next to Max Verstappen. And he was open for it. I, I was surprised. What, he was up for putting Leclerc next uh, to Max Verstappen? Ac actually, or? he mentioned uh, Lando Norris uh, because I asked... Uh, would you put someone like Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, Lewis Hamilton next to Max? And he said, yeah, Lewis not, but um, Lando Norris I can imagine. Oh, I love Helmut. He does love to stir, doesn't he? But look, we're talking about McLaren. Beautiful segue into the Woking team. And I think how frustrated they're going to be. I thought the Dutch Grand Prix promised so much with, you know, Lando Norris starting second. Okay, slightly more frustrating qualifying session for Oscar Piastri back in eighth, but the car was clearly working around this racetrack. And yet they've come away, okay, with points finishes with both drivers, but low down the order. It was a good track for them. It was uh, a higher downforce track, no ma not many straights. And uh, Lando even went to the race with the old spec wing because they didn't actually need the new wing because the new wing was working really well. But Oscar crashed with it and Lando didn't want to take his chances with the second wing. And the wing was to make the car less draggy. But because there are not that many uh, straights here, it wasn't a problem. So it was 
a race that was fit for them to have a, a podium, to have a very good result. I'm remembering about that race that Norris lost in Russia. And then after that race, because of the debrief, McLaren, they now talk to him in terms of levels. So it's a, it's a rain, but what kind of rain? It's a one, it's a two, it's a three. So it's these kinds of insights that come from a mistake. They come from uh, this kind of situation. So I think a lot will be learned after what we had today. I think it's a good thing if he's frustrated being in the points, if you consider where they started the season. So um, that shows you how much progress they made. And it looks like from the outside that the new rear wing they brought here didn't work. But I think it was a conscious decision not to drive it because of the conditions we had here with um, rain in qualifying, with rain in the race. Of course, then they are in Parc Ferme, but they knew that there was a risk of rain. So that's why I decided to go with the old wing, which is not as efficient, but it has a little bit more uh, downforce and more grip, and that's what you need in these conditions. So it's going to be really interesting how they will end up in Monza, because um, that's a track that shouldn't suit the car at all. And I think Andrea Stella explained it very well in Spa that they had just completely wrong specification for this track, but they didn't have any other option. So I'm really excited to see them there. And because he says they have a, a special uh, package, a special rear, rear wing now for low downforce. And if this is working, then for me this is really promising for the rest of the season. Just to be clear, they didn't have that low downforce rear wing at Spa, which is another really fast track. Exactly. So watch that space with McLaren next weekend. Russell's been off. Russell's at the back of the field. Russell has dropped to the back of the pack and he says he's out. Your front wing is missing, I think. The British driver who put a good move in comes into the pits and he says he's out of the race. Hard forecast on the podium. How do we miss it up? What about Mercedes then? George Russell was very frustrated over the radio in the race when he was back in, I think, 18th after what he thought was being on the wrong tyre and, 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 and really. Yeah, difficult one. Yeah, George did a very good qualifying. We have to say all all the way through qualifying, he was superb. He was driving amazingly well at the right calls. The team did the right calls as well with traffic, put him in the right place. So he worked well on one side of the garage and the other side of the garage, Lewis Hamilton didn't have as much confidence. And the grid is so close that with this kind of difference, you have one outside of Q3 and the other one in the, the second row of the grid. But then it all went backwards. They had this information that the rain was going to stop in two minutes and it didn't stop in two minutes. So the drivers were sitting there with the wrong tires for a long time. Maybe they could have taken the same decision as Alex Albon or as Piastri to stay out because the damage was there. But then they decided to pit and they, the damage got even bigger after that. But Lewis Hamilton did a very good recovery race and in the end he didn't overtake Carlos because of Carlos' straight line speed. That was a problem for Mercedes this weekend, straight line speed. They didn't have any uh, with this wing. But there were some good signs and some really bad signs. The pace uh, when the track was dry was good. The qualifying for George was good. Uh, Lewis's race, overtaking and all that, that was good. But all the rest, I think, they can go to the bin. I still think George Russell will come away from this race feeling okay about it. Okay, he finished 17th, I know. And there were lots of frustrations in the race. But he said over the weekend that he really needed the summer break. He wasn't in a good place mentally when we were at Spa and Hungary. And... For him to have bounced back the way he did on Saturday, and let's face it, racing drivers are judged on speed. And so for him to deliver that qualifying lap, I think, will have given him a lot of confidence going forward. But Mercedes, I feel, missed an opportunity here. I think Toto Wolff knows that they missed that opportunity. And if they are going to stay ahead of Aston Martin in this Constructors' World Championship, the gap now is only 40 points they're going to have to stop making these mistakes and get both cars in the points. Especially because Aston Martin seems to have improved. So they were in a better place in the last few races because Aston Martin wasn't doing so well. So they were overall, they had a better car. 
But now, if that's not the case until the end of the season, then they have to step up. But I would put my money on Mercedes, to be honest, because they have two drivers, scoring points. And also, Est Martin looked a lot better this weekend than they looked the, the last four or five weekends or so. But then, this is a very special track, and they have been pretty good when it came to high downforce circuits. And I would be surprised if they would finish on the podium in Monza, to be honest. So, the swings we see between the between the Formula 2 class and Formula 1, as Tote would say, the swings are, are huge, and um, I hope for them that Aston Martin made, made the step they think, but I think it's not as huge as it might have looked like here. And what is going on at Williams? And I mean that really positively because what a sensational weekend. Alex Albon told us all on Thursday coming into the Dutch Grand Prix that he didn't expect to be quick this weekend. I think he'd even told people, his friends like George Russell, that he wasn't going to be quick. And yet from the moment that car hit the asphalt here, it was quick and he lines up P4 on the grid. Goodness knows what he could have achieved had it been a dry race, but he still crossed the line in eighth. Christian, you are an engineer by trade. Explain to us why the Williams works so well around Zandvoort. I think the Williams is the opposite of the Ferrari. I mean, you could argue that the Ferrari this weekend was the Williams because it was difficult to overtake because they had the wrong uh, wing level. But then um, I think Alex Elbon said after the qualifying that he had a lot of confidence. It, it, it was not about the ultimate downforce you needed. You needed the confidence in, in these difficult conditions. And that's why probably he was that fast. And you listen to the, to the comments from Charles Leclerc, it was exactly the opposite. So I think... The ultimate downforce of the Williams is still not great, but if you then have the confidence and in this tight field, you can do anything apart from P1. Logan Sargent managed to get into Q3, and he won't have anything like the confidence of Alex Albon, will he? So that, to me, almost is more significant over one lap than what Alex Albon was able to do. Yes, but then it comes the conditions. The Williams seems to be really good at these changeable conditions. We've seen that in, in Silverstone as well. And maybe with the tyre compounds, the C1, C2, C3, that seems to help Williams somehow. They still don't, don't have all the answers that you want, Tom. <laughs> they don't know why they did well here. But the car was working a lot better. And Logan's race, Logan's weekend, even though he shunted twice, showed that... What he explained to us was that he ended up in the wall because he was trying to be very cautious, so cautious that he lost temperature on his tires. So that is a good explanation of how confidence can just go away <laughs> from one moment to the other. For me, that's a racing driver excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I was thrilled to see Williams going so well. I was a little bit frustrated, though, to hear James Valls, the team principal, explaining over the weekend that, yep, there are going to be no more developments on that car. This is it for the rest of 2023 because you feel that there's some momentum there now and you want them to continue to make progress. But they're going to make some fundamental changes to the design for 2024. And as a result, it's back to the drawing board literally and in the wind tunnel. And they're going to make those changes between now and next year. But great to see Albon going so well. Now, the final topic I feel we must talk about is Alpha Tauri. Daniel Ricciardo, Liam Lawson. First of all, I caught up with Michael Italiano, who is actually Yuki Sonoda's physio, but used to work with Daniel, is still very tight with Daniel. Well, we were discussing what sort of break Daniel had done to his hand, and it is the, as he described it, the best bone for him to have broken. It's the metacarpal and the next to the, his little pinky on the left hand, the little, the little finger. That's the part of the hand that you use least to drive a Formula One car. Um, he has been operated by Javier Mir, who MotoGP fans will know because he operates on a lot of those guys. He also uh, worked on Lance Stroll's wrist earlier in the year. And the feeling is that Daniel will need six weeks recovery, which takes us to sort of Qatar territory later in the year. I think he'll be more ambitious than that. He'll probably try and get back for maybe Suzuka, maybe even Singapore, but Singapore is a very physical track, isn't it? So we wish you well, Daniel. Uh, you're a friend of the show and uh, good luck with your recuperation. But what the break did mean is that 
it was quite literally a break for Liam Lawson, who has been racing in Japan this year. He finished third in the Formula 2 Championship last year. And to come in on a Saturday morning in wet conditions, OK, he qualified last, but really, OK, and he had a spin, but he kept it out of the barrier fundamentally. And he finished ahead of Yuki Tsunoda in the race. I thought Liam was incredibly impressive in what he did. What do you think, Ju? He was impressive at the track and also impressive when he was speaking to us with the media after the race because he seemed to be so composed. Like, okay, I, I wanted to keep it out of the wall. It was a very tricky race. Sometimes it was raining a lot, but I managed to do my job. Let's remember that he had a penalty in the beginning of the race and that was because AlphaTauri, they had to do a double stack and because of that, he ended up having a penalty. And that was not good for the beginning of his race, but nothing seemed to have shaken him off at any point this weekend, even though it was a very tricky one. So may maybe he's just trying. He didn't really understand everything that's happening. He's still processing. That's why he dealt with it so well. Well, he was thrown in at the deep end. What do you think Helmut Marco will be thinking right now? I think he will be impressed. And the situation Liam was in was, I think, the most difficult you can imagine. He didn't have FP1, he didn't have FP2. Then at a circuit like Sanford, in these conditions, I mean, he didn't do a, a big mistake. The one he did in FP3, that's forgotten, there was nothing. And then proper qualifying, really good race. And the problem for him is he wants to show how good he is, but then he shouldn't damage the car. And in these conditions, on that circuit, that's actually, I cannot think of a, of a more difficult task for, for a driver coming into Formula One. And I think he did really, really well. Do you think it's better to judge him after Monza? Yeah, next definitely, weekend? definitely. Because okay. here he could do only wrong. All right. You know, in those conditions, it, it is an opportunity to do some giant killing, isn't it? Yeah, but then if you don't know the car, you don't know the circuit too well, in a, especially in a Formula One car, you didn't do FP1, FP2, then... Oh, would you go that risk? Would you take it? It's this kind of race that presents you with chances, but not for him because he really needs to keep out of the world. The job number one yeah. is finish the race. Yeah, and he and needed he the mileage as well, right? Yeah. Every mile counts. Miles maketh the racing driver. Isn't that what they say? And I think if Daniel wouldn't have had a, a major injury, they would probably have put uh, the freeze in the car. If they would have known it's just that one race, because De Vries knows the car, he knows the track probably a bit better, being his home track. Um, because when, when I was talking to Helmut right after FP2, when he knew that Daniel is hurt but didn't know the magnitude, he, he didn't know if it would be De Vries or Lawson. So that shows you if they think bringing a driver back, that's quite a decision. And they probably would have just made it because they knew how difficult it is. And if it would have been only this race, Lawson would have probably not got, got the chance. I can only imagine now how Liam is training like crazy, thinking about Singapore, because you really have to be on top of your game for that, that really race. is always a two-hour race in the horrible heat. It's horrible for us working there, and we're not driving any cars. Actually, though, Drew, do you know, his racing in Japan this year might help him in that respect, because it is quite hot and humid in the summer in Japan. So he may have had a bit of acclimatization uh, oh, I hope that. so. <laughs> <laughs> so the top 10 looks like this. Max Verstappen takes win number nine in a row in his 11th this season. Fernando Alonso is second, his seventh podium of the season. And Pierre Gasly is on the podium, claiming third. Then comes Sergio Perez in fourth after that five-second penalty. Carlos Sainz is fifth. Lewis Hamilton climbs from 13th on the grid to sixth. Lando Norris comes in seventh with Alex Albon eighth, Oscar Piastri ninth and Esteban Ocon tenth. In the Drivers' Championship, the unstoppable Max Verstappen has 339 points, and that's 138 ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez in second place. Fernando Alonso is third, 33 points further back, with Lewis Hamilton 12 off him in fourth. Carlos Sainz is fifth, with Charles Leclerc and George Russell both on 99 points in sixth and seventh. Lando Norris is eighth, Lance Stroll is ninth, and Pierre Gasly tenth. In the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull have a whopping 540 points, which is 285 points ahead of Mercedes in second, who have 255 points. Aston Martin are third, 40 points behind Mercedes. 
Ferrari a fourth, McLaren a fifth on 111, with Alpine sixth on 73. Then come Williams in seventh on 15, with Haas eighth on 11th, then ninth and tenth, Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tauri. Well, guys, what a weekend. It is getting dark outside. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. It's been great to speak to you both. Final thoughts. Go on. Give me your driver of the day. Fernando Alonso. He made some amazing overtaking, even the, in the beginning of the race. That overtake he did when he was, he was with slick tires and it was rainy. It's like, oh, my God. He won that in that, I think it was lap three. He won the driver of the day for me in that maneuver there. First of all, I have to say that the standard, the driving standard today was impressive. I think we got the first yellow flag um, pretty late in the race and with very difficult conditions. So the driving standard today, all 20 drivers for me were fantastic. Christian, I've been banging this drum for a while, though. I think the strength in depth of the grid in Formula One now is, I would argue, stronger than it's ever been. When you look at all 20 drivers, even the worst ones, if we can call them the worst ones, are actually exceptional. Fully agree, and I think that's a testament of the, of the state of Formula One at the moment. But then you ask for the driver of today, and I would go for Fernando as well. It's also the budget cap. I think the, the level of the field has to do with the budget cap, because the teams are less dependent on money bringing from the, being brought from the drivers. And I think it's going to get better and better because of the budget cap years and years. Well, let's hope <laughs> they still keep the budget cap. That's a really good point. Well, I was going to say Fernando Alonso, but that makes quite boring listening, doesn't it? If I just go, yeah, same, copy-paste. So I'm actually going to throw Pierre Gasly in there. I thought, uh, you know, to come from, okay, what was it, 12th on the grid to finish P3 was sensational. He was, okay, he was lucky. We know that in that he pitted at the right time but the way he kept at it the consistency he showed during this Grand Prix I thought was really really strong so well done to Pierre you are my driver of the day but it's not long until we're going to be talking about drivers of the day at Monza and if I could just throw it forward to the Italian Grand Prix I can't believe it's the last of the European races where has this season gone but uh, Italian Grand Prix next weekend can I have your podium predictions for Monza? So you go with P1. Max. No, that's, you see, you see, I see. No, ladies first. <laughs> so P2. Charles. Charles, really? P2 in Monza? I'm more hopeful than anything. <laughs> After this weekend, I think he deserves something oh, he certainly, better. He certainly deserves it. Um, okay, so Christian's gone for a Max win. Uh, congratulations on that. Ju says Charles for the podium. Let's hope because... The podium is so special at Monza, isn't it? With the Tifosi running underneath and to have a Ferrari driver up there is always fantastic. Hmm. Tom, come on. Who would you like to have in the press conference asking questions? <laughs> <laughs> I want to be outrageous and say Alex Albon. I think that Williams is going to be a bullet, but I think that is too outrageous. And I'm actually going to go Lewis Hamilton for P3. I think we could see him back on the podium. Why don't we check in with our fantasy team now, F1 Nation Racing. And we've actually had our best weekend of the season so far with a total of 371 points. Red Bull, Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso earned us more than 250 points combined. While our decision to go for a papaya trio of Lando Norris, Oscar Piastri and McLaren as our other constructor paid off massively. And Alex Albon's P8 was a nice little bonus as well. However, despite having our personal best, we've actually dropped down the F1 Nation World Championship. But what about the top three? MLN Racing continues to lead the way with a 62-point advantage over Scuteria in second place. And blank BGP is close behind in third. F1 Fantasy is great fun and free to play. You can join our league at any time. Just go to fantasy.formula1.com and search for the F1 Nation World Championship. And remember, you can make changes to your team until the start of qualifying for the Italian Grand Prix on Saturday. Well, guys, thank you again. It's been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you to you at home for listening. This show is nothing without you. We will, of course, be back next Monday with our thoughts on the Italian Grand Prix. Before I go, 
I do just want to plug this week's F1 Beyond the Grid because we have Ferrari team principal Fred Vasseur giving us his thoughts. I actually spoke to him just on the eve of this Dutch Grand Prix, so I haven't got any reaction about what happened in the race, but still, it's a... It's Fred Vasseur being very interesting. That is out on Wednesday. But for now, thanks for listening. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.